0: So, I had a conversation with a wonderful lady just a few days ago. And it was a sad uh, uh, conversation. Uh, Her dad, uh, with whom she was very close, just passed away. And I called to express my condolences and then just to chat with her. And I asked questions about her dad and all the rest. And in the course of talking with her about him and his passing, she began to cry over the phone. She was grieving, you see. She had already begun to sense the loss and, and to miss him, and she was surely entitled to it all. Um, I did not uh, cause those tears, and I, I did not impose pain upon her. It, it was there already. Our, our conversation released what was there already. And I share that with you by way of introduction to the topic uh, I, I would like to bring to you tonight. Um, I'm going to say some things that will hurt um, probably many in, in this room, and that is not my intention at all. I, I want to go on record and, and say, um, as we discuss what we're going to discuss, uh, it's probably not me causing the pain. It might be that what I'm talking about is revealing the pain already already there. Uh, I, we would have no right to do anything deliberately hurtful to you. You're not here for those reasons. You're loved by Almighty God and entrusted to our spiritual watch care. So uh, a little bit of a disclaimer. The topic is not a uh, pleasant one. And I don't have a lot of pleasant things to say, um, but 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 what we'll talk about and what you might experience is, is evidence of the fact that there's already pain. Folks, I'm talking about the pain of divorce. This is part of the series we've been engaged in over the last few weeks, the pain of divorce. You, you here who have experienced that pain uh, know what I'm talking about, and you have a right to it, to your pain. It's quite... Understandable. It's not a pathology to be hurt by the demise of your marriage. Nobody marries with the intent of its dissolution. Young children, girls, boys dream of the time when they'll be in a marriage that lasts and that meets needs and that is wonderful. And when that doesn't come to pass for a variety of reasons, it causes a kind of a grieving process. Really, it's sort of the death of a hope, you might say the death of, of dreams. So please uh, note that we understand and are sympathetic and understand your pain. And you might be asking, well, if you understand my pain, why are you even addressing a subject that has the potential of bringing it out? Um, I'll tell you why. You, above all, who are pained, pained by the throes of divorce, you, above all, uh, don't want anybody to go through what you have gone through and neither do the rest of us. So we want, as a church, to do uh, the best we possibly can to see to it uh, that divorce uh, becomes um, rare rather than routine. Sadly, uh, it it seems to be becoming rather routine even amongst we who are, are Christians. Our goal is to raise the bar quite a bit and to ensure that the divorce is an exception rather than than the rule because we love you and we honor you who are hurting and we know you don't want that to be the shared experience of children grandchildren and others who you care for and then let me just say to you you might be wondering I feel like the odd person out even tonight uh, where is my place as a divorced person this is your place this is your church and you belong here as much as absolutely anybody else. And though you feel like a second-class citizen from time to time, you are not. If you know the Lord Jesus, your royalty, you are a child of the King, this is your place. It's a place of grace, it's a place of healing, and it's a place of forward movement. And we'll get down the road together. Uh, All of us, uh, the pain quotient notwithstanding, will help each other down the road. And the Lord Jesus is your place. You know that, don't you? I hope you know that. He's the one who wants to envelop you in his grace and in his love. He's the one who wants to assure you that in spite of all that has previously transpired, including divorce, he will never uh, divorce himself from you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Now, all that being said, Let me now quickly, and perhaps not too smoothly, tell you what God has previously said. He said, I hate divorce. Three words, striking and power-packed words. And I did not misquote Almighty God. I quoted what he had to say directly for confirmation. You could look it up in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. Why does God make such a strong statement why does he hate divorce I'll tell you why it's because it hurts it hurts the parties to divorce it hurts the children of divorce it hurts the parents and other relatives of those who are suffering the throes of divorce it hurts society the culture hurts the church and I'll make this statement which I think I could substantiate I think divorce even hurts almighty God. You see, it's something he never authored. Did you know that? He authored marriage, but he did not author divorce. In fact, the only exit clause with regard to marriage authorized by God is the death of one of the parties to it. So then, if God did not author divorce, who did? We did. It's our idea. And I think it's quite disturbing to God, if I could be frank with you, because in effect, uh, divorce is our way of essentially saying to God that we have found an approach to the resolution of marital problems that is better than yours. That's essentially what we're saying to God. Furthermore, I think divorce is something that hurts God hurts the reputation of God because of this. Let me read to you Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. For this reason, Paul is writing, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then in verse 32 of Ephesians 5, we read this. This mystery, Paul says, is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Paul wrote this. First, he had been speaking in that text about respective male and female roles in marriage. And then in verse 31, he refers to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Uh, God declared his model, his pattern for marriage, way back in Genesis. And Paul, in so many words, in referring back to it as being authoritative, authoritative, and the framework for marriage in his day is essentially saying, though culture has changed, though society has changed, though people have changed from Genesis to Ephesians, God's unchangeable model for marriage has not changed. After Paul makes recourse to Genesis chapter 2, verse uh, 24 he says something uh, quite astounding. He talks about the mystery of marriage, and, and he says, don't misunderstand, readers, I'm not actually speaking of human marriage. I'm speaking about it as a reflection of Christ's marriage, weddedness to his bride, the church. Paul has just said something. So many who married today are oblivious to ignorant of, it's that marriage, human marriage, is meant not to meet all the needs of the participants, not to make everyone happily married. No, it's meant to reflect in a small way. It's meant to mirror in some fashion Christ's irreversible bond, his weddedness, his marriage to his bride, the church of the Lord Jesus. And that is true for non-believers as much as it is for believers. However, I'd like to think that we believers have a little bit of an edge over unbelievers with regard to our capacity to appreciate the significance and essence of marriage, it being a reflection of the Lord's irreversible and permanent weddedness to us. And yet, though I'd like to think we have an edge, sadly, I think we have lost our edge because we seem to be treating marriage at least statistically in the same fashion, non-believers are treating marriage. we seem to be divorcing at uh, essentially the same rate as they are. and folks, I'm wondering if in the uh, process where we're sort of losing we're sort of losing our voice. I wonder if the culture is sort of looking to us and essentially saying to us, you Christians have nothing to say to us about how to live and how to marry because you don't seem to be doing so well at it yourself. So please forgive me. I don't want to hurt anyone, but I'm really concerned about the next generation. Whatever decisions you and I have made have been made, and there are consequences, and the Lord Jesus Christ will help us along the way. But we would like this next generation to do better than we are And so we want them to see what marriage really represents. It's a reflection of the Lord's permanent weddedness to us. So today we're seeing marriage merely as a vehicle by which the husband and wife find a measure of enjoyment they would not find apart from one another. And if that's the case, you see, when we cease to enjoy one another, we cease to want to continue with it. But folks, marriage exists for God's glory. That's the purpose of it. It does not exist to meet the emotional needs of the parties to it. This idea that the goal of life is to be happily married, that's a wonderful thing. I wish it on all of us, but nowhere in the Scriptures does it say that's the goal. The goal is to marry, if that's what you're led to do, stay in it through Thick and thin, in good times and in bad, sickness and in health, for better or for worse, and in so doing, give the world some notion of the possibility being in a bond of weddedness with Almighty God that persists on into eternity. So the purpose of marriage is to display how God remains married to us. How does He do so by grace? And he does so by mercy. And he does so by forgiveness. And he does so by remaining true to his word. Folks, the highest purpose of marriage is to put the covenant bond of Christ with his church on display. I'm almost speaking about things too lofty even to lay hold of. And that's a barometer of how far we have drifted, how much we have made ordinary profaned, holy matrimony. I must read this again. The highest purpose of marriage is to put the covenant bond of Christ with his church on display. When you think of that, oh my goodness, you approach it with much more seriousness, not quite as lightly as we seem to be doing today. Folks, something happens when we divorce. It is this. It simply makes it harder for unsaved people to see the possibility of being in a bond with Jesus that lasts forever. You don't intend it, I know it, but I'm telling you, this is one of the ramifications of divorcement. We simply make it harder for unbelievers to conceive of the possibility of being in an irreversible marital bond with the Most High God. And that's why I think God hates divorce. But you may say, nice. But are there no exceptions to the rule? Are there no exceptions to the permanence of marriage? You may be surprised to know that very legitimate question uh, was broached by followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, following him not exactly for the right reason. And it's recorded for us. Their questioning of the Lord uh, on this account. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, I'll read it. Some Pharisees, Jewish religious leaders, came to Jesus, testing him so we know their motive. And asking, is it lawful, this was that question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? So the focus of their query, their question was, uh, grounds... Uh, for divorcement what are the permissible grounds rabbi jesus what are the grounds what's the exception to the permanence of marriage that's what they were asking see there were different opinions in the jewish community about what would be justifiable grounds for divorce and they wanted the lord to choose one position as over against another so as to uh, take sides you see you know what he did he skipped over the matter of exceptions uh, to marriage entirely and responds as follows here's what it says verse 4 of Matthew 19 the Lord says haven't you read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh doesn't that sound familiar As with Paul, the Lord Jesus himself authenticates and confirms the authority and reliability of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. The final word on marriage is not the word the culture is giving to us today. It's the word of God way back in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 19 refers back to it. And so, once again, as with Paul, the Lord invokes what God said about marriage in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Folks, culture has changed. But the Lord referred back to the unchangeable model of marriage. I'm so fearful for the younger generation and for all of us because we seem to be hearing the voice of culture more uh, than we are the unchangeable word of God. And so the Lord says in verse 6 of Matthew 19, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then he adds something to what has been said previously in Genesis 2, which is quite remarkable. He said this, what therefore God has joined together. He quoted Genesis 2.24 and then added this comment, what therefore God has joined together. Let no man separate. You know what the Lord did? He declared that in marriage, God performs a, a uniting, a, a joining of the parties into a one flesh relationship. That no person, including the parties to it, has the authority to separate. Because God did the joining That's what he said. Look, candidates for marriage uh, come together to the ceremony. It's wedding day. They exchange. They're led to do this. They exchange vows. And as they do so, God, if you believe the words of Jesus, I do. I know you do too. As they exchange their vows, God joins them together in a one flesh union. God does this. Please let that smack you around. God does this. You saw each other. You're attracted to one another. You are in love with one another. You've pursued each other. There's romance in the air. You've planned your wedding. You picked out the colors. You got the napkins figured out. You know where you're going to a honeymoon and all the rest. But it's God who does the joining together. He waits to hear your willingness to publicly confess your vows of commitment. And on that basis, it's not the music. It's not even your beautiful dress. It's not the tuxedo the man is uncomfortably wearing. It's not any of that. It's these vows that gets the attention of Almighty God. So somehow, in a way, I don't fully... This is the mystery of marriage. He unites. He joins together two hitherto independent units into a one flesh kind of a relationship. He superglues them together so that their lives meld. And therefore the Lord Jesus said, it's insanity for anyone to think that can be toyed with. That can be messed with. That can be divided and separated. Don't you see? God did this. He showed up at your wedding. He's the honored Is this too much for you? Then don't get married. That's just how weighty, holy, and important. Don't rush into it. Unless you're ready for God to join you indivisibly. To, I got to tell you something. Culture doesn't get this. The, you think the world out there gets this? It doesn't, and that's why the world out there doesn't take the permanence of marriage seriously at all. But my question is this, do we get it? Do we take it any more seriously than the unregenerated world out there? Religious leaders of the day wanted the Lord Jesus to weigh in on possible grounds for divorcement And he essentially insinuated, you have the wrong focus. Do not look for a way out. Emphasize, focus on permanence, but wait. I'm not naive. I've been around. I know what you're thinking. What if you're in a troubled marriage? Folks, if this is your situation, you have now become a missionary to your spouse. That is so weird. That is so true. If, you, if your spouse is on the run from almighty God, you have now become a missionary to your spouse. And if you are a missionary to your spouse, you must not look for a way out of the marriage. You must look for a way of bringing your spouse in, closer in to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your calling in life. It's not to be happily married. Thank God if it comes. That's icing on the cake, but that's not the substantive reason for marriage. If you're in a troubled marriage, you're a missionary to your spouse, and your goal is to so live with God's help and maybe missionary training so that you can find a way to bring your spouse closer in, in an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ who wishes to be wedded to him or to her. But what if you are desperately unhappy, choking, trapped in a relationship that is leaving you empty? Then I must say to you what I hope you would say to me. Trust God to take care of you. Trust him to help you, to love you, trust him to shape you, form you and mold you. Look at, you were attracted to this person initially and you fell in love. Now things have changed, and now you think you have ended up with the wrong person. If that's you, could I please invite you to give thought to this? Marriage is less about being with the right person than about becoming the right person. Let God mold you, In a troubled marriage, let him change you. Let him make you more like him. But what if you have fallen in love at one time and now have fallen out of love? What if you just don't feel towards your spouse what you once felt? Ah, feelings. Very real, yet very unreliable things are feelings. They're so subject to change. They come and go. And yet, we're immersed in a culture suggesting to us that emotions, feelings are to rule us. We are to make decisions, even about marriage, on the basis of how we feel at the time. No, folks, our vows are not to give way to our feelings. Our vows, our words, our promise. Before God and witnesses, those are to overrule our changing, vacillating feelings. The world is telling us the opposite message. I want to leave you. Why? I no longer love you. What happened to the vows in sickness and in health, good times and in bad, better or worse, until death do us Heart. folks we once stated as both as as long as we both shall live now we've allowed the culture to modify that statement into as long as we both shall love come on folks love the feeling of it comes and goes anything almost anything can change it lack of sleep diminishes your love quotient Anger, moodiness, heartburn, too much pepperoni, pizza, anything. That can't be the basis of the dissolution of marriage. Folks, I got to tell you something. The reason so many marriages break up is that they are based on feelings. But marriage is to be based on our vows, not on our feelings, we become compromised and we have become influenced by the surrounding culture to such an extent that we have nothing further to say about marriage to the culture. So same-gender marriage is surely going to pass. Another state is coming close to ratifying it. It will be interesting to see what our Supreme Court has to say about it. Major countries of the world are already voicing their approval and we're appalled, most of us. We, don't, we, we just want to scream out, but nobody's hearing us because they're saying, what have you done with this holy institution of marriage you say is so valued and so bounded by God's word? What have you done with it? Because statistically, your success rate in the perma- with regard to the permanence of marriage is not that hot, you see? I'm afraid... Since our marriages are going the way of the surrounding culture, you know, no-fault divorce just killed us. It just gave not only legal efficiency for dissolving a marriage, it just made it so right, so reasonable, so doable. Uh, a legal pronouncement that has just minimized the irreversibility of marriage. And so I think we're losing our voice and our right to tell a lost and dying culture how to live. God has a better way to live, you see. Singer Olivia Newton-John, you know her? Beautiful lady, a beautiful voice, beautiful gal. Singer Olivia Newton-John was asked recently why she hadn't gotten married earlier in life. And She shared how when she was 10 years old, her parents went through a very devastating divorce, and she said, you know, it's hard to believe a relationship can last when you've never seen one, when you've never seen. Folks were ready to protest, burn down buildings, vote in candidates, vote candidates out with regard to marriage and God's definition and all the rest. And we're not showing the world sufficient numbers of marriages that last. They're seeing us to be ones whose walk does not match our talk. I don't want to hurt anyone, but these are really desperate times. We cannot come to church, bow at the feet of Almighty God, sing glorious hymns, and not do what he said. We cannot do that. He did not call us to be happily married. He called us, whether we're single or married, to be obedient. Because Father knows best. Hmm. Let's let the culture see marriages that last. And we can do this by letting our feelings be, but by letting our vows be more important. By the way, who do you believe those vows were made to? We ministers say to the couple, would you face each other? Repeating after me, would you repeat to your bride, to your to, to would you repeat to each other? But those vows are actually made. Those vows are actually made made to God. There was a time in Israel's history when Israel's leaders were going astray again. And they wondered why their offerings to God were unacceptable to him, why he was displeased. And the answer is given in Malachi chapter 2, verse 14. It says, because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife, by covenant. Please notice this phrase. I'd like to repeat it because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. At the wedding, God is saying, I'm here. I hear. I see this. I confirm what you are saying. I heard what you said, sir. I heard what you said, ma'am. I heard what you both promised. Your vows are not merely recorded in the county clerk's office. Your vows are recorded in heaven. You promised me till death do us part. Is God making more of this? Is God just thin-skinned? Is just is he attaching more importance to this than he ought? Should God chill out with regard to marriage? I mean, after all, isn't marriage a mere contractual Agreement between two people? What's the big deal? People break contracts all the time. But you see, that's just the problem. Most people see marriage as a contract, but God sees it as a covenant. Malachi chapter 2, verse 14, once again. Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your wife companion and your wife? Look, by covenant, not by contract, you say. So what's the difference? Well, a contract is an arrangement for the exchange of services between people for a stipulated period of time. A covenant is an arrangement involving an exchange of lives, not goods, not services, and there is no suspense date. It lasts forever. A contract can be broken. But do you know a covenant cannot be broken? It can only be violated. A contract is something witnessed by people. But a covenant, the covenant of marriage, is that which is witnessed by God. Folks, marriages based on contract between people rather than on covenant before God are doomed from the beginning they lack the level of commitment they lack the appreciation of permanence which is required in order to make them work in order to make them last a the marital contract continues for as long as the couple stays in love but staying married is not about staying in love staying married is about keeping one's covenant vows to god Folks, do you realize how serious it is to make a vow to God and break it? Let me tell you how serious. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. When you make a vow to God, don't be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. At the wedding ceremony, the couple states, until death do us part. I wonder how many realize when they declare that, that they are vowing this to God. Oh God, for as long as I have the capacity to breathe, I promise to you, I will not divorce my wife or I will not divorce My husband. Folks, marriages that focus on feelings will fail. Marriages that look back to the vows made to God will last. And God wants marriages to last. Permanence of marriage is his idea. Dissolution of marriage. Let's own into it. That's our idea. And God does not want us to see divorce as an option. Why? Why? Because if you see it as an option, you, I, will be more likely to exercise it. If divorce is not an option, will you agree to this? If divorce was not an option, wouldn't we be more likely to do whatever it takes to make our marriages work? There's no other option. But the culture of divorce in which we now live has led us away from the idea of permanent commitment to our marriages for better or for worse. And I fear that we as Christians have embraced the culture of divorce more than us influencing them, they have influenced us. Stephanie Kuntz is a professor and author. She said this, in modern society, people are reluctant to enter marriages unless they know they can get out. That's the culture of divorce. It has to be different for us. We must be convinced that once we enter marriage, there is no God-honoring way out. But if this is the case, who in their right mind would want to marry and run the risk of being trapped in a potentially troubled marriage? Do you know the Lord's followers asked him that very question? Matthew 19, verse 10, the disciples said to him, If the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, then it's better not to marry. And the Lord responded in verse 11, He said to them, Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. Jesus does not deny the irreversibility, the weightiness of the commandment to stay together. But he says, God does enable some not to marry, but to accept singleness and to do well living for him as single people. So listen, folks, if you are not prepared to marry without an exit strategy, then do not marry. Do you know the purpose of life is not marriage? The purpose of life is marriage to the giver of life. That's available by faith to single people as well as to humanly married people. So one way to lower the divorce rate, it seems to me, is to remain single. That'll lower it. Want to hear another way to lower lower the divorce rate? Why don't we declare marriage right from the outset to be temporary? Temporary marriage. Good idea, huh? Do you know the idea is already being suggested? in many, many places around the world as a way to lower the divorce rate. Capital of Mexico. What's the capital of Mexico? Mexico City. Do you know know in in Mexico City, the lawmakers actually seriously considered a proposal which would have allowed couples to sign on for marriage for a couple of years and then go their separate ways if things didn't work out. The bride and groom would sign a marriage contract for a specified period of time. When the time expires, the couple could be invited to renew the contract or split up without the red tape of divorce. Thank God it didn't pass then, but it will in other places. Folks, I got to tell you this. Temporary marriage is an unholy idea about holy matrimony. A lot of people say, what are you talking about? By default, over half marriages amongst Christians and non-Christians end up being temporary marriages. You see? You see? Because we think we have an exit clause. <clears throat> temporary marriage is an unholy idea about holy matrimony. I, I, I think I know a better way to lower the divorce rate. It's this. Let's honor the vows we made to God. Even if our feelings have gone flat and even if the culture has make, made divorce acceptable let's honor our vows made to God and before God after all the years since the pronouncement made in Malachi 2:16 i believe God still hates divorce i'd like you to notice something in that verse Matthew chapter 2:16 which is easily missed it says for i hate divorce says the God of Israel. For the first time in Malachi, you can check me on this. I think I'm right. For the first time in Malachi, God says, I'm the God of Israel. Why did he do so in this context? Let me suggest something. He has entered into a covenant with Israel. He married her. How did she do as his bride? How has she done? You know what she did? she cheated spiritually she became a harlot a spiritual harlot israel my people she took on other suitors the gods of the lands she lied to god she deceived him she drifted from him she turned from him and yet he has not ever divorced her in fact I need, as we draw to a close, to call your attention to an outstanding passage of Scripture. Don't overlook this. Listen to what God said to even his wayward bride, Israel, as recorded in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5. It says, for your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of Of all the earth that's what God said to Israel in spite of all she had done that's what God is saying to you single married divorced your husband is your maker and then it says in verse 6 of Isaiah 54 for the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. And this in verse 7, for a brief moment, I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. There was a consequence for Israel's adultery, infidelity, consequence for cheating, a consequence for it all. God said, for a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion compassion I will gather you. He didn't divorce himself even from the one who cheated on him. Don't you see? He's revealing through Israel and her waywardness his intent to to keep his word and his vows to Israel and to us as well. In verse 8, in an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting, everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. What a marriage with the one who will not let us go. Evidence is in his response to wayward Israel. We might say he would have had grounds to replace Israel, divorce himself from Israel. And there is an outcry in that regard today. I don't think people calling for that understand what they're doing. They're casting aspersions on the character of God. For though his bride be unfaithful, and she surely is, he remains faithful. And you know what he says to us? Go and do likewise. Go and be married in the same way. Go, and in sticking together, even when your spouse lets you down, even if your spouse cheats on you, commits infidelity, even when that happens, show the world something that lasts by grace, by mercy, by patience, by forgiveness, by God's strength. And in so doing, you've just given them an illustration of the irreversibility of the marriage proposal Almighty God has given to us. I will never leave you or forsake you. Go and reflect it to the world. Don't just share the gospel message and then act in a way that's inconsistent. Show them the embodiment of the gospel message in your life. Saved by grace. Wedded irreversibly by God's grace. In spite of us, as he has overlooked Israel's wayfaring spirit, so too he has cast all our sins behind his back. Put shoe leather on it, he says. You know what God says? People out there can't live by something they can't imagine to be real. Help them to imagine the reality of a bond with me that will never end. Help them to imagine it by having that kind of marriage yourself. Let me tell you something. It's wonderful to be happily married. But that's not what the Bible calls us to. It calls us to stay married and trust God as obedient ones to handle our hurt and wounded hearts. I love the the mission of our church, you know, to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world? What about having marriages which serve as living proof of a faithful God to a watching world? What a time to have a testimony to the world of the fact that God's ways are better. Live this way. We could tell them it's better. Father knows best. Let's not lose our voice. Let's not be compromised. Do you realize the culture is going to hell? Do you realize that? Why do we want to join in, be accepted by it? Let the culture call the shots. Do you admire the culture that much? Have they found the formula for success in life? No way. The world is running an experiment. They're removing God from the formula of life. How's the world doing? Not good. We have truth. We are the bride of Christ. Honor him. Do things his way. You have a right to your feelings. Get counseling. Get help. Get prayer with your hurt and wounded heart for sure, but don't act on it. What about the vows? What about the vows? What about the vows made before Almighty God? What about it? Did I scare you? Then don't get married. I hope we succeed in talking more people out of it because too many are going into it. Not realizing how irreversible, holy, sanctified, lofty it is. It's not an institution of our own making. God created. It's the first institution. The Bible opens with marriage and the Bible ends with marriage. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. When we get there, I want him to say, good job good and faithful servant. We may say, oh God, I suffered so miserably in my marital bond. I was exploited, mistreated, and abused. I was cheated upon. I was robbed of happiness. But to hear you say, well done. Now, good and faithful servant is worth it all. There's no time to just come to church. Why don't we come here and do not do what he says? Would you join me in doing something? Men, women, get a little card, write on it at your leisure. I will never divorce my husband. I will never divorce my wife. Put it in your wallet, put it in your purse. It's not an option. You have no choice but to make the best of it. And in honoring God, He'll help you through it, doesn't He? How could it be that he would require something of us incapable of our doing? That's not the way he operates. Lord Jesus, you are awfully patient with us. We say we get you, and yet we seem not to get it. We don't seem to get this. You know how we are supposed to live. There's not an honest person in this room now presently struggling in any area. I think who would have the audacity to say, I didn't contribute to my travail. It's our poor decision-making. Oh God, we think we could do life better our way than yours. And thank you for forgiving us. Thank you as you have been with Israel, you are with us. We're the Isaiah 54, needy, rejected wife, clothed by your grace, taken under your umbrella. We anger you for a while, but your compassion is everlasting. Father, you know best. Clean us up. Make us salt and light. Help us to live out the gospel message so that when we declare it, we can demonstrate how powerful, how life-changing, how transformational it is. You are, O oh God in heaven. Get mileage out of us as one's intent on doing better and bringing glory to your name. Oh God. Make this place a divorce-free zone. Make it to be a rarity rather than that which is routine. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.